Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. And to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. When I leave home to walk to school, Dad always says to me, Marco, keep your eyelids up and see what you can see. But when I tell him where I've been and what I think I've seen, he looks at me and sternly says, Your eyesight's much too keen. Stop telling such outlandish tales. Stop turning minnows into whales. All the long way to school and all the way back, I've looked and I've looked and I've kept careful track. But all that I've noticed, except my own feet, was a horse and a wagon on Mulberry Street. That can't be my story. That's only a start. I'll say that a zebra was pulling that cart. But it isn't too late to make one little change. A a sleigh and an elephant. There's something strange. But he'd simply look grand with a great big brass band. A band that's so good should have someone to hear it. But it's going so fast that it's hard to keep near it. I'll put on a trailer. I know they won't mind if a man sits and listens while hitched on behind. And that makes a story that's really not bad. But it still could be better. Suppose that I add a Chinese man who eats with sticks, a big magician doing tricks, a ten-foot beard that needs a comb. No time for more, I'm almost home, for I had a story that no one could beat, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. But Dad said quite calmly, Just draw up your stool and tell me the sights on the way home from school. There was so much to tell. I just couldn't begin. Dad looked at me sharply and pulled at his chin. He frowned at me sternly from there in his seat. Was there nothing to look at? No people to greet? Nothing, I said, growing red as a beet. But a plain horse and wagon on Mulberry Street. Well, welcome to week four of our series, Parenting Through Proverbs. We're having some fun looking at uh, some parenting wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And of course, we're coupling that with classic Dr. Seuss stories. And uh, we're in week four of that. Remember week one, we kind of gave you the template, what we're going to walk through. I think we've got that slide for you again. We started off kind of talking about the discipline years, right? Years one through five. And we looked at Yertle the turtle and we said, hey, and in the hearts of all of our children, right? there's this tiny little king, and if we're not careful to displace the king of their heart and replace him with the true king, then we might regret that as they begin uh, to grow up. And we do that through irrational love and diligent discipline. If you have kids that age, I'd highly encourage you to go back and take a listen to that one. Then last week we talked about the training years, right? This is ages 6 through 11, and we talked about what pet should I get. We talked about the responsibility of picking and sticking, right, which is illustrated by having a pet, but it's also so much more than that. Next week, we're going to look ahead just a bit. We're going to talk about the friendship or the advising years as our children grow up into adulthood, and then we're going to finish up this series in two weeks talking about leaving a legacy for our children. So you won't want to miss any of these series because as our kids grow up, these are just little things that we can pocket away and remember as we're along this parenting journey. So, But today, we're focusing in on the 
coaching years, the teenage years, right? Perhaps the most difficult, misunderstood, and terrible years that you can imagine. How many of you are scared for your children to be teenagers if they're not there? Yeah, I'm a little worried. How many of you have teenagers and you're just like, yes, I have teenagers and I'm still scared, right? Um, Which is why we told this old familiar story that I'm sure you've all heard of before, right? How many of you have any clue about, I heard it on Mulberry Street before today? Right? Anybody here about I'd never heard of this story. Uh, we were borrowing key components of this series from uh, a church that I follow called Twelve Stone because they're way smarter than I am. Uh, and so I'd never heard of this story until they kind of introduced this lesson. But I, I think it's really key for this age and for this season, right? I mean, it's the story of a child, right, who wants to impress their parent. Do you, do you hear that within the story, right? I can't just tell about a, or, an ordinary horse and wagon. It's got to be pulled by a zebra and then an elephant. And then he just goes on and on and on. And it's about a, a parent, right, who wants to hear from their child, right? They're, they're saying, tell me about the walk home from school. Tell me what you experienced. I want to hear it, right? But the kid and the dad in this story, they don't quite see eye to eye, do they, right? Dad wants him to be focused on the practical, right? Just the facts. Meanwhile, the son who is still forming up into his imagination, his adulthood hasn't quite fully formed and he's still in the state of imagination. So while you You may not have heard this specific story before. It should be a familiar story to all of us, especially as we turn our attention to these teenage years from age 11 and 12 through 18, right? That our kids are experiencing wonderful, fantastic things and that parents, we want to hear about those great things that are going on inside their heads and inside their lives, but but something happens in these years, right? We try to communicate, but, but we don't quite see eye to eye. As a matter of fact, you might say, that we disagree, right? Like we're from two different planets and and all too often when it comes to this stage we have similar objectives but we just can't seem to get into these conversations and in these relationships with our kids and as parents we get lost in translation. All too often kids don't feel free to, to say perhaps what they want to say and when they don't say what they want to say often enough then how can we know what's going on in their world and how to deal with it which leads to arguments and misunderstandings and of course disagreements, right? This is why the four seasons of parenting are really so important for us because if we miss this change, if you miss this opportunity to parent through the coaching years and you're still trying to do discipline or training, it's going to result in our kids rebelling away. It's going to result in them going their own direction because as we get in the upcoming weeks, the parenting game begins to change from when our kids are little and growing up to now as they begin to blossom into becoming responsible adults, right? Just to reminder that's our goal with parenting it's not to raise good kids or well-behaved kids it's to raise responsible adults that's what we're going after and so this shift in this season from training and discipline to coaching and friendship is the hardest turn to make so let me just give you one key qualifier to remember during this time if your kids aren't in this stage yet if you just maybe remember this going forward I hope that it'll stick with you the fundamental reality in this stage is that they are in the game and you aren't. 
This is what it means to be in the coaching years, right? Up until now, it's been training, it's been hands-on parenting, we've been disciplining and walking along in the same process, but once they begin to be teenagers, they want to stretch their proverbial wings, right? They want to begin to grow up and to begin to experience these things. In their minds, they're adults, right? And if we don't make this conversation, if we don't hitch our conversations and begin to move them along a path towards adulthood, they're going to resent us for it, parents, right? And we remember this. Because we were teens once, and we remember thinking we knew everything at 16, right? How many of you thought you knew everything at 16? How many of you still think that you knew everything at 16, right? Like, eventually, some of your hands are still up. That's funny. Um, I don't think I knew everything at 16. I think I still have a lot to learn. And I think that's part of the challenge in this is that our teenagers are not yet fully formed. They're not fully formed emotionally, spiritually, physically, right? Scientifically, their brains, their prefrontal cortex is still being developed. So here they are in this stage of life where they're wanting to spread their wings to, to fly, as it were. They're wanting to be adults. And it's our job as parents not to clip their wings because if they feel like we're going to cut their wings or if they feel like if they tell us the truth that we won't let them fly, then they're going to reserve and clam up and not have the conversation. Instead, we have to go, how do we equip you to be a responsible adult? How do we grow you through this stage? In other words, how do I let you be in the game but still get to be a coach on the sidelines? Because all too often in this stage, they don't even want you to be a coach, right? They're not even telling you when the game time is, don't show up, don't be there. You just do your thing. I'm going to go out and do my thing. And we have to be there for this season. We have to make this transition alongside there. So what does this look like, right? Despite the fact of what they tell you, they're not fully formed adults yet. They're still being formed. So what's our role as parents? The role in this stage is marked by a turning over and yielding increasing control to our children, with one small caveat, right? One small star at the end of that. As they demonstrate the ability to handle it, right? This stage is marked by turning over and yielding increasing levels of control as they demonstrate responsibility to handle it. Because that's the goal, right? We want them to become responsible adults. How many of you are going, nah, I'd like my kids to live in the basement for the rest of my life, right? That's really my highest achievement, right? We don't want that. We want them to grow up, which means we have to figure out how we turn over control to them in the midst of them not being ready to be full-functioning adults. How do we yield control to them? How do we move them along in this journey, right? So as is our pattern, not only are we looking at a classic Dr. Seuss story, but we're also going to open the scripture. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Proverbs 25, verse 28. Maybe you brought your Bible or you just want to pull it up on your smartphone. I'd encourage you to do that. If not, uh, our ushers are walking around with Bibles. They'd love to give you one. You can slip your hand up briefly here and uh, they'll let you borrow one for this service. We're on page 308 in these Bibles, page 308. If you don't own a Bible, just keep this. It's our gift to you. We just want you to have God's word in your life. Again, with Proverbs, these aren't quite stories. They're just kind of one-line snippets. So maybe this is something to memorize. Maybe you circle it on your bulletin, underline it in your Bible, but let's see what Proverbs might have to tell us about parenting through these teenage coaching years. Proverbs 25, verse 28. It says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks 
self-control, right? Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. So let's take a little field trip with me, right? Let's go to, let's go to ancient Israel. Let's go to a farming, an agrarian, a, a shepherding culture, right? So everything kind of happens out in the fields. That's where a lot of people are. And so when you live out in the fields and in an open farm, it's really easy for a group of people to come along and overpower your little family unit. So the benefit to being in a city, to being in a village, was that you got to build this wall around that got to protect you. It kept bad people out. It kept people who wanted to cause harm or steal or thieves or all those things. It kept them out and it kept your community safe. This is the benefit to not just being out on your own farming or shepherding or doing whatever. It's why you moved into a village or a city, to be with people and to protect. So the benefit of living in a city was having these protection of these walls. Does that make sense? One person that makes sense too, that's cool, right? So the benefit, the benefit of having walls is that it's protection. What happens though when the walls are broken down? Then what's the point of having the walls, right? Without the protection, without the walls being able to do their job, it really serves no purpose. If there's a crack in the wall, if there's a way through, if the gate is left unlocked, then the wall serves no purpose. It provides no protection. This is what the author of Proverbs is trying to tell us, and he relates that to a person who lacks self-control. An- another word might be self-restraint, right? That ability to self-regulate, right? So let's talk teenagers real quick. Would you describe teenagers as having an overwhelming uh, ability to be in self-control, to be self-resilient, right? Think back to when you were a teenager. Were you just the the king at having self-control, right? So Proverbs is telling us that, hey, when our kids perhaps lack self-control, they're like a city without walls. Let's see if we can make this a little bit uh, more uh, context for us today. The message records it this way. It says, a person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. Maybe that makes more sense to you. It's like if you go home tonight and you take the door off the hinges and you break all the windows out, right? You're leaving yourself wide open. The house looks abandoned. There's no protection. And Solomon, the author of Proverbs, right? We're talking about wisdom from Seuss to Solomon, says when you lack self-control, self-restraint, self-discipline, the ability to self-regulate yourself, then, then really you're losing your protection mechanism. You're losing this ability to to have God-given parameters in your life that protect you from the bad things that want to cause ruin and destruction in your life. Like a city without walls is the person who lacks self-control. And again, teenagers are not particularly well known for this skill set. So how do we move them along in this process? Here's the takeaway. Here's the goal. Here's the the win for this season of parenting in the coaching years, right? In a season of life that is identified with self-indulgence, right, with a lack of restraint, we want to foster and implement self-restraint in our children, Self-control, right? In a, in a world, in a time, in a season where we know that, that self-indulgence runs rampant and that self-control, that self-restraint, that being in control of yourself is lacking, we want to come alongside and go, in this season of parenting, I want to coach you to be able to have walls that protect you, to have boundaries, to not just leave yourself open to ruin and destruction, but to have some parameters, some self-control, some self-guidance to be able to manage what's important to you in these years. 
Right? So we want to equip and train our kids to have their own sense of self-worth, of self-discipline, of ways to go. We want to combat the culture of self-indulgence. If you don't believe that there's a culture of self-indulgence in these years, download Instagram, download Snapchat, right? Go to one of these programs and you'll see that during this stage of life, it's all about me, right? Cell phones have only made it worse. There's selfies all over the place. I don't take selfies because I'm not from that generation. I don't get it. Nonetheless, this is what is absorbing the, our youth today as they grow up. Parents, we've got to know how to parent through this season of self-indulgence. So let me give us two working principles that we're going to work on to define self-restraint or self-control for us. Right? The working definition that we're going to use is that self-restraint requires you to be able to see clearly and then act appropriately. In order to practice self-restraint, in order to have self-control, in order to be self-guided, you've got to be able to see the situation, to see the world clearly, and then you've got to be able to act appropriately once you see what the truth is that's really going on. So let's unpack this. Let's start with seeing clearly. Let's go back to our story, right? Do you remember Mulberry Street? Dad said to keep my eyes up, right? Keep your eyes open. Observe the world around you. But he also told him, hey, stop turning minnows into whales, right? What does that mean, right? Stop turning really, really small things into really, really, really big issues, Right? That happens in this season, does it not? It also happens that in the world that we live in, in our culture, we also tend to turn whales into little itty-bitty minnows, right? Things that are really, really big decisions and big deals, we tend to minimize, especially in the teenage years. Let me give you just a couple of things. Here are some small things in the teenage years, right? Dates, prom, social media, cell phones, pimples, right? These things get blown way out of proportion, right? These are minnows that become whales. They become guiding principles. They can ruin the days of our teenagers. They can totally derail them from the direction that they want to go. We, we take small things and we make them large. Why does this happen? Because we're not seeing clearly, right? These are teenagers. They're not fully formed yet in any way, shape, or form. They're struggling to articulate their identity, who they are, what they want to be about. And we've got to help them see clearly in these years. We've got to help them go, hey, stop turning minnows into whales. Guess what? It's going to be okay, right? It's going to be fine. The pimple's going to go away. I promise it will not ruin your life. I know it feels that way right now. Similarly, in our world today, right, whales get truncated down to minnow size, right? We take really, really big issues, things that are large issues, life-changing directional issues, and we minimize them, right? Especially peers and people who perhaps may not have the same worldview that we have, like the major ones, right? Sex, drugs, pornography, these are major, huge, life-altering decisions that get made in this season where our kids are not yet fully formed, they don't want to include you in the conversation, it has the ability to derail their life. And society, their friends, school, takes whales, really, really large, big concepts, and it just says, eh, it's no big deal. Right? Don't worry about it. Everybody's doing it. It's not that big of a deal. Everything's going to be fine. And when we can't see clearly and understand the implications of what's going on, parents, our kids are growing up in a world that's going to encourage them to self-indulgence, to make big things really, really small, and to take the small things and to blow them completely out of proportion. And literally, our teenagers, our kids, no matter what age they are, are not equipped to handle the things that they're meant to deal with in this stage of life. They're not adults yet. They're not fully formed there. They're not equipped to make these decisions. What they need is a coach, 
What they need is somebody to walk them through to help them begin to see clearly and act appropriately. And if we aren't prepared as parents, I don't want to raise fear with this, but I want us to be prepared that if we don't walk through this season and know that these things are coming, if we're not ahead of the curve, then we risk our children making some life-altering decisions in this stage of life that we weren't prepared for because we weren't ready to have a conversation, right? So here's kind of my internal rule. I don't have kids in this age yet, so I'm willing to be completely wrong, but here's how I'm preparing for this season coming up. If my kids are going to have the opportunity to be exposed to conversations that are way beyond them where they can't see clearly, I want that conversation to start with me. Right? That way I beat them to the punch, and that way I have a proven track record that no matter what comes up in their life, I want to be in the conversation. Right? I don't want them to deal with it on their own. I don't want them to think that they can't talk to me about it. I don't want to think that it's taboo. I want the conversation to start with me. So I'm just going to hit a hot button issue for me. This is probably the thing that, that I care the most deeply about when it comes to raising my sons, mostly because I experienced it myself, and it's the issue of pornography. Pornography is rampant in our culture. The world says, eh, it's not a whale, it's a minnow. Let me tell you, it's not. It will change the way that they function. It could potentially ruin their marriage. Here's the scary fact, right? In America, the average age to ex for exposure to material that kids should not be viewing is eight. It's the average age at which kids are exposed to material that they have no business being in. My son is nine years old. Guess what conversation we've had? We've talked about this, not explicitly, oops, not explicitly, but we've had enough of the conversation that he knows what a good picture is and he knows what a bad picture is. He knows what his eyes should be exposed to and he knows what they should not be exposed to. And he knows what to do if he's in a situation where he sees something on a friend's cell phone, on a friend's computer, where he's in a situation where he shouldn't. He knows that he can talk to me about that. Because I've already led the way in the conversation. I've already been ahead of the curve, right? Because this is the fundamental issue, especially at this stage. Our kids are going through these issues. It's just whether or not they're informing us of them. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to this stage, I want to be in the conversation. I know I'm not in the game, right? I know I'm not the one making the decisions. I know I'm not still training and disciplining, but you better believe that I want to be a coach, they want to be in this season and be able to speak and train and lean into their lives because I don't want them making life-altering decisions because they lack self-control. Because they're like a city without walls. I want to be one who helps them build up the walls that they need to have. It's my job not to tell him where to put a door, but to show him where he, where he needs to see clearly that a door belongs and to allow him to put up that boundary. Because here's the fundamental reality, right? We all know the difference between knowing what's right and then doing what's right, right? We all know the right things we should do, but, but then when it comes down to the actual situation, we have a hard time. It's kind of like the kid in this video. It's quick, but take a look. Okay, let's watch it one more time because it comes fast, right? So the door opens. Oreos are the cookies of choice. Bed, blanket, and then smooth it out, right? You didn't see anything. This is what's going on in our lives, right? The door opens, and we know that we shouldn't have the cookies, right? We know that that's not where they belong. We know that we shouldn't have that. Oh, but they're so tasty, right? We all just want a little bit of Oreo cookies in there. And so the kid has to hide it. He has to go, no, I'm not going to own up to this. I'm going to hide it away. See, 
like somebody who lacks self-control, self-restraint is like having no walls, no boundaries. And we need to teach our children how to go through these situations because there's a difference between seeing clearly and acting appropriately. There's a difference between simply knowing the truth, which is what hopefully we've established in their lives up until now through discipline and training. But now we're at the coaching years where they've got to make the decision. They've got to act appropriately. We've built them up. We've given them the opportunity to see clearly, and now we have to help them act appropriately, right? Because this isn't just for kids, right? We all have areas in our lives where somebody pushes the door open, and our immediate reaction is to hide the cookies, right? Are you with me? We all have those situations where we just rather people perhaps don't know what's going on, or when the door opens, our instinct is to hide, not to be accountable or to be a person of integrity, right? And in this season of parenting, we're coaching our kids through these hidden actions and encouraging them not only to see them clearly for how they impact them in the future, but how they can act appropriately within it. Let's go back to Proverbs. Let's get a couple, uh, a couple more ideas in us as it comes to this season. Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse 11, just a few pages back, says this. Even a child makes himself known by his acts, right? By his conduct, whether he is pure and upright. The implication, right, is that this is true for children, but it's also true for adults, that our actions display the condition of our hearts. And when the doors open and our instinct is to hide the cookies, it reveals what's actually going on in our hearts, our intentions, our laid bare. It's true for our kids as well. And we can see this play out in something as innocuous as Oreo cookies all the way up through whatever situation you can imagine in the teenage years. Or how about another one? Proverbs 10, 9. If your kids go back to the porch kids, you may recognize this verse because it's been their take-home verse. Translation, your kids are learning exactly what we are talking about in here. So if you're looking for ways to have conversations about this, this is a perfect example. Proverbs 10, 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will, will be found out. So whoever has integrity, right, their, their walls are standing, their windows aren't knocked out, their doors are protecting them because they walk securely. They have no fear when the door gets pushed open because they're living lives of integrity. But the crooked, the people who aren't quite sure, the people who aren't acting appropriately, all of a sudden their actions expose them. I still remember to this day that, that my youth pastor, when we were in, uh, in high school, I guess it was, and he gave us the definition for integrity, and it stuck with me for all these years. I'd like to share it with you both personally and as we parent through these years. He, he simply said it this way, that integrity is who you are when no one is around. Integrity is who you are when no one is watching you, right? When you're at work and nobody's watching you. When you're driving, right? It's not speeding unless there's a cop, right? Stop signs when you're not alone, right? Integrity is who you are when no one is watching, right? Because even a child is revealed through their actions, whether or not they know what's right and can act appropriately on that. And our teenagers, as they grow through this stage, their behavior is important because parents, we're not always around, right? Typically, up until this stage, we're around. We can see what's happening. We can clearly address the issues that we see. But once they start getting freedom to go over, to drive, to have a cell phone, to have all of these things, all of a sudden, parents, we can't be in every situation. 
So we have to start walking them through integrity, who you are when nobody's watching, because that's what really speaks to the heart of who we are as individuals, right? See, in the story that we talked about, right, Mulberry Street, the the kid was turning minnows into whales, right? He was embellishing his story, I think it was a pure motive. I think he wanted to impress his father, right? I think he wanted to be impressive to his parents, to see something fantastical and to bring them into this great thing that he experienced. But he couldn't see clearly what was happening, right? He also didn't tell his parent the whole situation. Did you notice that? He didn't tell them what he imagined. He didn't tell them what he experienced. He only shared the facts, right? He did act appropriately, He was honest and he told the truth, but the truth wasn't the whole story. Especially in the teenage years, right? Kids always try to maneuver. They're going to tell you enough to placate you, enough to give you the reason, but they may not tell you the whole story. Parents, to be able to effectively coach our kids, we need the whole story. We need to know everything that they're thinking, everything that they're feeling, and we need to provide space for them to share that because the truth of seeing clearly and acting appropriately, this wasn't the sum of his experience. He had more to tell, more about what he felt and thought and dreamed of. And if you're like me, I grew up with this saying, right? A half-truth is a half-lie, which is why integrity is key. Who are they when they're not asked the right questions? When they aren't set up for success, will they still share the whole story of their experience? Because we're trying to cultivate self-restraint, self-control, self-guidance, a sense of your own self-values in these years, which means seeing clearly and acting appropriately, right? Parents, it's true for our teens, but it's also true for us. There's no one to police or guard our hearts. It's all on us as we grow up, which is why I love of these verses, right? Because in contrast to the person who doesn't have self-restraint, the people who walk in integrity are secure. They're like people with walls intact that can't be taken out or dislodged. Their footing is on solid ground, right? And as the result, they demonstrate self-restraint, self-control. And as we grow our teens through this years, here's how you can begin to do this, right? When they begin to show themselves to be in control, to have diligence, to be able to act clearly, or be able to see clearly, act appropriately, then we can give them control. The conversation that you can have with your, with your teenager may go something like this, right? The ability that you have to control yourself, I don't have to. The ability that you can self-regulate, be in control of yourself, guide yourself in that direction, then I don't have to parent you through that. But where you lack self-control and self-restraint, that's where I have to step in. Because you're demonstrating that you don't have the ability to act with integrity, to act with self-restraint. So here are three quick areas during the stage that you can begin to outlay, begin to uh, lay some control at their feet so they can handle it, right? The first is that they can control their time. You can control your time. If you're a teenager, especially if you have a smartphone, they can get themselves up and at school in time. You don't have to do that, right? They can control when their homework gets done. They can control if they can get a part-time job or hang out with friends. It's all on them to manage their time. And during the season, you you can begin to throttle up the control that they have over their free time and back off on how much you parent through those years. Until what? 
until they lack self-control, right? Until they can't figure it out, until they get a bad grade, until their grades aren't satisfactory, until they don't show up for work, until they start hanging out with the wrong people, right? And then you have to be in control of their schedule. You don't get to decide anymore because you've proven that you're not in control of your life. When you don't have self-restraint, then I have to parent, which means you don't do what you want to do, you do what I want you to do, until you prove that you can have self-control and self-restraint. As they relearn self-restraint, then we increase those control areas so that we're gradually turning over control to them as they begin their journey towards adulthood. Because again, the idea isn't to keep them as children needing parents, it's to develop them into responsible adults. So first, you can control their time. Second, they can control their attitude. You can control your attitude. This is always on you. It's true for adults. It can be true for our teenagers, right? Because life isn't always easy or pleasant or fun especially when there's a teenager around, right? All the parents said, amen. So if you want to be an adult with adult responsibilities, that means that no matter what, you can control your attitude. You can control your words, the things that you say, the way that you feel. You can control your attitude, right? Which means when somebody asks you a question, you can control what you say. You can control what your eyes do, whether they roll back to the back of your head or whether you make eye contact. And when you lose the ability to control your attitude, then I'll control it for you. You can go to your room. I can have your cell phone. You cannot be on the internet. Because again, it's all on you to control your attitude. And to the degree that you can control it, you get freedom. You get the ability to stretch your wings until you prove that you lack self-restraint. And then I move into parent again. Right? Last one, control your time, control your attitude. Lastly, control your impulses. Your teenager has to learn to control their impulses, and I mean that in every sense of the word, right? From the tamed to the untamed. Control your impulses because, again, it's on you, right? It's on our teens. And if you can't handle the hormones coursing through your body, I'll gladly help control it, right? No dates, no people the opposite sex over in the house, certainly no time alone in your room, not happening. As you demonstrate control and self-restraint, you can begin to throttle back, right? I don't have to be in the back seat on your date right? Once we get there. But you've got to prove that you're in control, that you can control your impulses. Another easy one, driving, right? Especially boys, they've got the need for speed, which means so long as you can control your impulses while you're driving, we're all good. The second you get a speeding ticket, guess what happens? Car comes back to me, right? Insurance goes back to me. You lose the car because you can't control your impulses. And if you can't control your impulses, then it's my job to control it for you, to teach you to enter into that conversation, right? And here's the kicker, right? Over this whole conversation, right? This whole thing about teenagers, you cannot tell a teenager what to do or what not to do, right? You all know this, right? It's intuitive. We know that that just leads to an argument. But if you don't recognize that in this season, you'll tell them what to do, and they'll go the opposite direction. Instead, as a coach, as a role model, as an advisor in them, we have to help them figure out what they want in their life. We have to let them tell the story to help them see it clearly and act appropriately, right? Because a lot can happen on the way home from school, right? A lot can happen on Mulberry Street. And if you want to coach them through it, you really need to see and experience the whole story, the good and the bad, right? Not just the filtered version. And if you tell them that what they think they saw didn't really happen or isn't true or isn't valid, they'll never share with you what they're actually seeing. They'll just placate you and you won't be coaching your child. You'll be observing them. And nobody wants that in these years. 
So we want to raise responsible adults who have self-restraint enough to resist the self-indulgence of the world around them, to learn to see clearly and act appropriately with integrity, who don't turn minnows into whales, but who also don't turn whales, the big things in this season, into minnows, and that they're secure because of their integrity. If we can coach them through these years, then we've got a chance of growing a lifelong friendship with our children and also hopefully leaving them a legacy that lasts. I'm going to invite you into just a time for prayer. And I want you just to recognize that not only does this message apply for teenagers, but it applies all the way up throughout our lives. Self-restraint, indulgence, integrity, all of those types of things. So, so where are you at in this journey? Where are you at on yourself, right? Maybe there's a personal application for you in this. Maybe there's an application for your children. Maybe there's a place where you just need to lean in and to go to God and to ask him, hey, are my walls broken down in any areas? Am I like a house whose windows are broken out? Am I like a city who doesn't have any walls because I lack restraint or control or integrity in some area? And then simultaneously, I want you to think about your children. What do you need to input into them now? So that when it comes to this time in the season, whether it's a couple years off or whether you're in the middle of it right now, what do you need to input into them so that they can see clearly and act appropriately? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, God, we want to recognize your voice in this conversation, God, that that so often we lose the ability to see clearly. God, in our own lives, we lack self-restraint, self-discipline, and that leads us to not walk with integrity. It leads us to hide Oreos and pretend like nobody saw it. And God, more than anything, what we want for our children is that as they grow up and mature to these ages and to these places, that they have the opportunity to do better than we did to act with integrity, to be secure in their foundation, God, not only in themselves, but with you. And so, God, would you enable and equip us to be people of integrity, to see clearly and to act appropriately. God, would you equip us to lead our children into these conversations, even if we're still in the discipline years or, or the training years, God, that you would equip us to move into this stage so that we're not just a casual observer to our children, God, but that we are active and involved in their lives because we want to teach them to live with integrity. We want them to be their own fully functioning human beings able to make complex, difficult, hard choices while recognizing that at this stage, they're not quite there. They need a coach. They need an advisor. So God, if we're in this season, would you equip us with wisdom to be able to pour into the lives of our kids? Would you help us to fix whatever conversations have been broken? Would you help us to listen to their imaginations, to listen to their whale tales, God, so that we can hear what they're dealing with? But then would you help us to be able to help them see clearly and to act appropriately in the midst of that? Heavenly Father, we trust you not only for your work in our lives, but in the lives of our children. And we ask and pray that all of these things would happen and that you would equip us to be the primary voices in their lives as they go through these coaching years. God gives us wisdom and strength for the journey and equip us to be your people as we parent our kids and raise them up into a world where they can have self-restraint and self-control. All God's kids said.
Stop us, nothing can hold us down 